0: Hebrews, Hebrews is a sermon, and we said in January, I'm going to probably say this every time, the main point of the sermon of Hebrews is that since the work of Christ is so great, it would be folly to turn away from Him. Since the work of Christ, since Christ is so great, Great, since he is better than everything else, it would be folly to turn away from Jesus. And we we said this in January, but along the way in this sermon, he keeps giving us these warning signs, these warning passages, and they're like warning signs on a road, like yield or watch for pedestrians or speed bumps ahead and if you ignore those signs it is to your detriment you're going to destroy your car or you might destroy somebody else's car and this month if 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 all these little warning passages throughout Hebrews are warning signs then Hebrews chapter 6 the text we're going to look at tonight is like a big red flashing light it has red stop signs and red lights blinking and it is trying to get our attention saying there is danger ahead and it's because I believe because the author loves these people so much because he cares for them and loves them and he wants them to not turn away from following Christ that he just warns them watch out be careful danger ahead and our text is going to begin at Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11. And we're going to do the first eight verses of chapter 6, and it's probably one of the tougher passages in the New Testament. Tough in that a lot of people wrestle with it. And so, it's going to be important tonight to keep in mind the context of what the author is saying. Since Jesus is so much better, it would be folly to turn away from Him. Okay, that's kind of the point of this sermon. So, with that context in mind, listen to God's Word. This is Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. He writes, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Practice to distinguish good from evil. I thought, it's kind of what we were doing last year in our worldview series. We were, we were just constantly practicing distinguishing good from evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. It's a tricky, tricky text to understand. And really, I just have two points tonight from our text. And the first one is a little snarky, because I feel like the text is a little snarky, so it's appropriate. So, point number one is this, quit being a baby. Quit being a baby. Have you guys ever had someone say that to you? Am I the only one? (laughs) Or maybe you've said it to someone else growing up. I was the youngest in my family. I had an older brother who was four years older than me, and an older sister who was seven years older than me. And my brother would say this to me all the time growing up. He would say, quit being a baby, Mike. Quit being a baby, Mike. And I would always, it would always be at this moment when I would get my whiny voice on, you know, and I'd go inside, and I'd be like, Mom, Mom, Jeff, Jeff won't let me play with his friends, and they're playing wiffle ball. He says, I throw like a girl, and he won't let me play wiffle ball, and I'd be all whiny like that. And then my My mom would open the door and she'd say, "Jeff, let your brother play wiffle ball with you," which was like even worse than like being whiny. Because then I'd go outside and my brother and all his friends would be standing there like, "You're going down, man!" And then my brother would always say, "Quit being a baby, Mike. Quit being a baby." And you know, I was acting immature. You know, a 16-year-old shouldn't be acting that way. (laughs) I actually. Actually, I did the math. I think I was 10 at the time, which is still embarrassing. I was like 10 years old, (laughs) you know, just whining. And it was just, I was being a baby. I was acting immature. And I feel like in this text, the author is essentially telling them the same thing. He's telling them, you should be growing up. You should not be a baby anymore. You should be maturing. Stop Acting like babies. And I thought this was like a good word for relay this text. Because his whole point is you shouldn't remain in spiritual infancy. So you shouldn't remain in the same spot where you're not growing to know Christ, and owning your faith, and turning from sins, and growing in assurance, and knowing God. And, and he's not saying here we don't wrestle with sin, or we don't have seasons of doubt, but he is saying we should be growing and maturing. And he talks to them like they're spiritual infants. Look at the end of verse 12. He tells them, you, you need milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. He's telling them babies can't eat solid food. You know, babies have to be fed and changed and picked up. Someone has to clothe them. And I just thought, just imagine how awkward it would be as a teenager if your mom is clothing you, is putting clothes on you each day. You know, you wake up in the morning, and you just do this, and she's like putting clothes on you, or, or she's having to feed you or change you. That's kind of what he's saying to them. It's embarrassing. You know, the picture I had was a Uh, I I don't think Rob's here, but the picture that came to my mind is Rob McNeil kind of carrying Jonathan and Henry around on his hips, you know, like these like six foot five guys, and he's like having to carry them around, which isn't, doesn't have to happen, but that's kind of the picture he paints. It's just kind of like, that would be wrong, you know? There's something wrong about that picture of carrying them around like babies. And so, he's saying, you're, you're not growing. You're still in your spiritual infancy. It's the picture he's painting for them. And he's using irony and sarcasm because he doesn't want them to remain in this stage of spiritual infancy. One of the big themes in Hebrews is listening. So there's a large connection in this sermon between Hearing, listening, not just hearing, but listening to the Word of God and obeying it. So remember, it's a sermon. He begins the sermon with, in January, we talked about Hebrews 1. You know, long ago, He spoke to us through the prophets. Now He's spoken to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to Him. Listen to his voice. It's what the father said at the uh, transfiguration when he said, this is my son with whom I'm well, pleased." listen to him. And, And he wants us to listen to him. And then in chapter three, we talked about their unbelief and how they were failing to listen. They weren't paying attention. They were hardening their hearts. And here in chapter five, verse 11, again, he's hitting this hearing. Look back at verse 11. He says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. They quit listening. They're not paying attention to the word of God. They're not, it's not just listening with our ears, but it's talking about listening with our hearts, paying attention, taking it to heart, taking it seriously. It's kind of a sober warning. You know, if we've quit listening to God or to others. It's a warning to us that they're not gonna grow and mature if they fail to listen. And just for the teens here tonight, listen, this is not just a theme in Hebrews, but this is a theme in Scripture, and specifically for teenagers. Proverbs talks a lot about this. It's constantly encouraging teenagers to listen to their parents. Because there is a temptation that I remember having as a teenager. I know you feel it at times. There's this temptation to quit listening, to close our ears. I think part of it is just pride. We just start growing up and we start thinking, I know better than you. You don't understand. You don't know what's going on. You're, you're old and you're out of tune with all this stuff. And we stop listening. And, you know, in some areas, you might be right You know, I was talking to my kids about music, and I just realized, man, I'm so lost right now. Like, I'm listening to 70s music, and music from, like—I like early 2000s hip-hop music, and so I'm always playing this PlayStation. And they were telling me about this artist that I was listening to the music, and they're playing a song for me, and I thought, I like that. And And I asked them, who is that? And they told me the name of the artist, and I had to ask them, how do you spell that? And I thought, oh my gosh, that's such an old thing to say. How do you spell that? I wanna type it in so I can like look it up on Spotify. And so, you know, your parents may not be in tune with everything, but when it comes to knowing God and being wise and understanding what life's about and what life is gonna throw at you and things that are gonna come your way as you go to college and as you grow older, you know, they, they have wisdom. And you need to listen to them and pay attention to them and and think about what they say and take it to heart. And that's what we're supposed to do with God's word. We can't stop listening to it. And he tells them, you've stopped listening and then you stopped growing. And when we stop growing, we stay in this spiritual infancy. And what he's gonna tell us in chapter six is, it's like I have to keep evangelizing you. It's like I have to keep telling you this is how, this is the truth. It's like you don't listen, you don't understand, because you've quit hearing this truth about God. That's why he says in chapter 6 verse 1, he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Okay? When he says that, I think he's talking about the same thing he says in chapter 5 verse 12, when he's talking about the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's telling them, you quit listening, and so it's like I have to say, I have to keep starting over with you. I have to keep going back to the starting place every time. We're never getting anywhere. We're not actually growing and knowing these truths. I have to keep going back to start with you. One of the games my family just rediscovered, I played it as a kid and I forgot how fun it is, is the game Sorry. Has anyone in here played the game sorry? It is, it is a frustrating game. I mean, it will tempt you because, you know, you, you, you're, you start in this little circle, and you have to get a one or two to get out. And once you get out, you start going around the board, and you get real excited. And then someone else gets a sorry card, and they always go, sorry, you know? And then they bump your guy, and you go all the way back in the box. And you're just sitting there, all your four guys, and you can't get out. You keep flipping the cards, and they're moving around the board, and you get so close, And then sorry. You go back to start. I feel like that's what the author is saying. I I keep having to go back to start with you. We we shouldn't have to go back to the beginning every time. We should be growing and advancing and maturing in knowing Christ. And he uses the illustration himself in chapter 6 verse 1 of laying again a foundation. He says that. He says, you know and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. It's, he's not saying you don't need a foundation. What he's saying is you don't want to keep rebuilding the foundation over and over. When you build a house, you build the foundation of the house, and then you start building the structure of the house on top of that. And what he's saying is because they're not listening these listeners that he's preaching this sermon to, because they're not listening. It's like every single time, he has to go back and start building the foundation over and over and over again. And this doesn't mean, which people struggle with, that we move on from the gospel. I remember having a college student ask me about uh, this verse, chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 1. And one of the things the college student said to me is, he said, we need to move on from the gospel. You know, we're always talking about the gospel. You're always preaching the gospel. And we need to move on from the gospel to other things. And I told him, this is not saying that we move on from the gospel. It's saying that the gospel is the foundation. We never move the house off of the foundation. That's called building your house on the sand, you know? We build our house on the rock of Christ, so we don't build a new foundation. We don't move our house off the foundation, but we do build on the foundation. And I think what happens as we grow and mature is we begin applying the gospel to all these areas of our life. So we think about school, and we're thinking about the Gospel, and in our relationships, how we treat one another. We apply the Gospel, and we're growing, and we're maturing, and we're loving others, and caring for them, and praying for them, and we're sharing God's Word with them. And, uh, you know, when we think about relationships, as you guys get older, and you think about pursuing relationships, we apply the Gospel to that. It looks different when we build our house on the foundation of the Gospel, so he's not saying. You know, we 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 don't need this foundation of the gospel, but he's telling them we need to grow and mature and apply these truths and listen to what God is saying to us. He tells them in chapter 5 verse 12 that they should be teachers by now. They should be sharing the gospel with others. They should be going and telling others the good news of Jesus Christ, but instead Since they quit listening, he's telling them, I have to keep telling you this and you should be telling others this by now. You should be grasping this and owning it and growing in your faith. His concern for them is that they're not growing. And really, if you're not growing, then you're going backwards. There is no neutral in the Christian life. You're either in drive or you're in reverse. And so you can almost hear his pastoral heart for them. He's just looking at them going, it's like you're in reverse. You're not listening. You're not applying. You know, you're not not growing to know Christ more. And, And he wants to warn them, grow, listen, take these things seriously. Take your faith seriously so that you don't regress. Point number two. Point number one, quit being a baby is what he tells them. Point number two, bear fruit by following Christ. In verses four through eight, I think really what he's doing here is he's putting a verbal whooping on them. That's what he's doing. He's telling them it's not okay to stay neutral. It's not okay to stay immature. It is dangerous. You're on a dangerous path. And this is a very tricky passage because in verse six, I think this is the, the, the scripture that a lot of people struggle with. It says, you know, after they've, they've experienced this goodness and the word of God and this enlightening, and then they fall away, it's, it's impossible, he says, to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God, which is a tricky passage. Because we have to, a little tip. On interpreting your Bibles, when you come across a tricky passage like this, you have to interpret it with everything else God says in the Word of God. Because Scripture is consistent. It, it is not, it doesn't contradict itself. And there are a lot of other Scriptures that talk about our assurance of salvation. I have a, a slide uh, with a whole list of them, I think, uh, I, I didn't write all these out. We don't have time to go through each one of these. But there's just tons of scriptures that talk about how God knows those are His. His sheep know His voice. And they hear Him and they will follow Him. And how He saves us. You know, He's going to complete the good work He begins in us. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this passage is not contradicting that passage. It's not saying you can do that and then fall away. But I think he is saying there are people who come and they hear the gospel And they see the love of Christ lived out in front of them. And they experience this grace of the body of Christ. And they experience the word of God. And they see there's something good here. And there's something true. But they never respond to it. They never themselves repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. They go their whole life and they never make Christ their saviour. They never make Christ their own, and he tells them at the end of their life, they've produced no good fruit. They haven't. They haven't. They've heard all this good news. They've they've heard about Christ, and it's this free grace that's offered to them, and they've rejected him. And he says in the end of verse eight, and its end is to be burned. You know, I, I think it's it's a reference to hell to those who don't produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The term fallen away, he uses there in verse six, sounds like something happening to us. You know, it kind of sounds like, oh, someone pushed me and I'm falling away. But I think what that verse is actually talking about is it's talking about making a turning away decision. It's they've fallen away because they've made this decision, this intentional decision to reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, again, this text is not talking about struggling with sin or wrestling with doubt. It's not saying that God saves us and then we can, you know, run away from Him and turn away from Him. He's saying that there are people who have heard the good news of the gospel and they choose to reject Jesus Christ. They never choose to acknowledge him as their savior. It's a warning passage. And I think it's a good word. Um, It's a good word for all of us, but for teens, specifically growing up in the church, where you hear the gospel and you get to see it lived out in front of you and you get to experience such grace I think it means God's going to hold you to a higher standard. You're going to stand before the Lord. And if you reject Christ and if you don't turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and you deny Him, you'll have no excuse before God. Because you, you, you have seen the goodness of the gospel. You've seen the goodness of the Lord and you've turned away from Him. This is what William Lane says about this verse. He says, the sin that the preacher warns his friends to avoid is commonly called apostasy. Apostasy consists in a deliberate, planned, intelligent decision to renounce publicly association with Jesus Christ. It signifies a choice not to believe God, not to listen to God, not to obey God. It is the decision to be disobedient and to deny all that Christ has done for you. And, and this was a real danger in the early church. One of the things the Romans, a part of this is you have to understand this context the author is writing to. One of the things the, the Romans would do is they would track down Christians And they would bring them and threaten them with death and say, you either confess Christ or you have to confess Caesar as your emperor. And if you confess Christ, we're going to kill you. We're going to burn you at the stake. We're going to feed you to lions. And there were Christians who would publicly deny Jesus Christ. And he's warning them not to deny Christ. One of my favorite stories of the early church is the story of Polycarp who was a pastor in Smyrna. He was in his 90s, over 90 years years old, when this persecution broke out in Smyrna. And it was, it was really bad. They had a Roman festival there. And so one of the entertainments they had was to kill Christians as entertainment for the crowd. And so, they began persecuting Christians, and the church convinced Polycarp, he was in his 90s, to get out of town and to live on this farm. And the persecution was getting really bad, and the crowd knew that Polycarp, was one of the pastors of the church. And so the crowd was was just yelling for him and yelling for him and yelling for him. And so the Roman council decided to go on a hunt for him and they found him praying. uh, This, you know, this 90 year old man praying out in the country and they captured him. And actually the Roman council, the guy in charge, actually had pity on Polycarp. He saw how old he was, and just he was a very meek and mild man. He was very godly, and he really didn't want to have to kill him. And so, he was pressuring Polycarp to renounce Jesus Christ, and he was trying to get him to say that he would worship Caesar as his god. And they, he wouldn't do it. He kept denying it. So he brought him in front of this whole crowd of people. And they just erupted and were cheering and, and, and going crazy that they would kill Polycarp. And it said that as he came in, that he heard the voice of God say to him, be strong and play the man. And he said it was, it was like an audible voice of God telling him to be strong. And so they tried to, again, get him in front of the whole crowd to reject Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. He said, for 86 years, I have been his servant, and he has never wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And so three times they announced to the crowd, Polycarp says he's a Christian, And three times he said, yes, I am a Christian. And he refused to bow down to Caesar. He refused to reject Christ. And they burned him alive in front of that crowd. And this was a very serious thing to the early church when Jesus said, You know, if you acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And if you deny me before others, well, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. This this is what it means to be a Christian. It means we trust Christ and we acknowledge him. And the author here is saying he's concerned for them. He's saying you're not growing. It's, it's It's like you haven't taken ownership of your faith. I have to keep laying this foundation over and over again. You should be growing and I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned that when that moment comes and you have to stand up for your faith and when there's pressure and someone says, who do you worship? Who is your God? He's concerned that they're going to reject and deny Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to prepare them. He's trying to tell them Jesus is so much better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's a better covenant. His his blood speaks a better word. You know, let's worship him. Let's confess him. Let's follow him. Let's be his disciples. Let's follow Christ and be Christians. And you know, for us today, I read that whole story of Rome. And I thought that's really not our temptation today. I don't know of anybody here you know, maybe, maybe at a job this might come up. Um, maybe at your school, you know, you might have to acknowledge Christ. But no one's going to, you know, bring you in front of a crowd and say, if you don't reject Christ, we're going to kill you in front of this crowd. It's just not happening today. But in America, what's happening is lots of people are rejecting Christ because they crave approval, because they want people to like them, because they want to be popular, you know? It's like the pressures are so much lower on us. But people still reject Christ today. They they don't acknowledge him as their savior. And I think a good place to go is Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Remember the story Jesus tells about the seed that's being sown? And it's similar to this about who's gonna listen? Who's gonna, who's actually gonna bear fruit for God? And some of the seed is thrown along the path, and Satan comes and snatches it away. It's like they don't even hear it. They don't even have a chance to respond. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground, and he says they receive it with joy, but there's no root. That's kind of what this passage is talking about in Hebrews 6. They receive the word with joy, and they acknowledge it, but there's no root. And he says when tribulation or persecution comes, It's the same word. He falls away. Some seed falls among thorns. This is the one who the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word of God. And Jesus says there's a good soil. There's one who hears the word of God and it bears fruit a hundredfold. All this fruit for God. It's similar to what this sermon, the author of Hebrews says in chapter seven of our text. Now, the rain falls on this ground. It drinks up the rain. He's saying, that that's you. You hear the Word of God. You've heard. You've seen. You've tasted. You know the Gospel. You know Jesus died for your sins. You know Jesus is better. You've heard this over and over and over. The rain is falling, and you keep hearing it, and it keeps falling. And it should produce a crop in your heart where you want to say, And I love Jesus and I acknowledge Jesus and I follow Jesus and I want to obey him with my life. This is the one who produces fruit for God. And so there's two things here. It's a warning passage. You know, you have to to take the gospel seriously. Take your faith seriously. Consider Jesus Christ. Think about how much better he is. Think about what he did for you. You know, you have to grow in maturity. You don't want to remain a baby your whole life. It's a warning passage. But I think there's also an encouragement here. Because for those who do produce fruit, if you say, man, I, I, I do love him. I do think Jesus is better. I do want to acknowledge him. I do want to obey him. I think there should be this this joy and this assurance in your heart going, man, look what he did. He saved me and I am listening. I'm listening and I want to grow and I want to be mature and I'm fighting my sin and I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to put to death the deeds of the flesh and I'm trying to live by the Spirit. All of this should encourage us and build our faith that we've heeded this warning and we've acknowledged it. And if you read, one of the things that came up at Brenner a couple months ago was one of the high schoolers was reading, I think it was Hebrews um, chapter 10 about going on sinning deliberately. And the the question was, I read that passage and it terrifies me. And one of the things I said at Brenner was, if it terrifies you, then you really don't have to be concerned. (laughs) Because that's the effect it should have. We should say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to fall away. I I don't want to reject Christ. I don't want to deny him and go my own way. I don't want to, to leave Christ and deny him and reject him. And when we hear this warning and we listen to it, it actually pushes us to grow and to know him better, which is its intended effect. It's a warning passage and it's good for us just to stare it in the eyes. And to listen to it. We don't want to avoid scriptures like this. You know, this is in God's word for a reason. And so we come to it. And we confront it. And we stare it in the eyes. And we look at it. And it warns us. And we receive that warning. And we say, okay. I'm warned. And I'm going to grow. And I I, I want to build on the foundation of the gospel. And apply it to my life. And when we do that, these warning passages bring this wonderful assurance to our lives that yes, God has saved me and he's good and I wanna to grow to know him more. So quit being a baby and bear fruit by following Christ. And let me pray for you and then we've got, we've got a good 10 minutes for uh, some discussion time as families. So Lord, I pray just especially for the students here tonight, for these teens I pray that you would. um, My prayer, Lord, is that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. And you would give them ears to hear your word. And I pray that they would be doers of the word. They would not be like those who look in a mirror and don't change and forget what they look like. But they would be like those who look at your scripture and your word and they apply it to their lives and they follow you. And they trust in you, and they put their faith in you, and they believe in you, Lord. So give them the gift of faith tonight. And I pray this warning passage would for those who are spiritually lazy, for those who aren't growing and aren't listening. I pray this warning passage would help us, would wake us up by your spirit, that we would grow and take the gospel seriously, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have uh, four discussion questions for you. Well, probably 14 in four points here. So, we have about 10 minutes for discussion time, and then the worship team is going to come up and lead us in another song. So, number one, do you feel like you're growing in your faith and in spiritual maturity? Number two, failing to listen will keep you from growing and being mature. Are there areas in your life... That you are failing to listen to either God, your parents, or others? Are there areas you find yourself arguing about? What would Hebrews say about that? Number three, if you get time to this, look at Matthew 13. It's the parable of the sower. Do any of these describe your heart, the different soils? Is anything keeping you from bearing fruit, from hearing the word of God? And then finally... Are there areas of your life with friends, classmates, et cetera, where you are tempted to deny Christ? How would Hebrews encourage you? So 10 minutes in our families. If your parents aren't here, just jump in with a family near you. Parents, if you see someone around you without a group, just welcome them in and and lead them in this discussion. And we'll return to singing in about 10 minutes.